All right, church family, grab your Bibles, and as we have been for the last few weeks, turn to Luke chapter 10. This will be our last time in Luke chapter 10. One of the hardest questions, at least for me, to answer on Sunday mornings is, how was your week? So, especially at our church gatherings, as we engage in passing conversation here and there, before and after our service, I don't know, is it, is it just me? I, I feel like when, when y'all ask me that question, I often just kind of go, yeah, uh, what, what was I doing this week? Because we're, we're busy, we we're, we're just got the kids in the car, at least my family did, we're here. I have not consulted my calendar app for a few hours What have I been doing all week? So here's a tip for you when you draw a blank. One of the most safe pat answers you can give is, and this is somehow vague and and beautifully informative at the same time, I've been busy. Because it's usually true, and it usually kind of can shut people up a little bit. So between work, church, kids' activities, school, household chores, hobbies, TV shows, unlistened to podcasts, calendars, to-do lists, grocery shopping, budgeting, vacuuming, we often don't have much margin, at least perceived margin, left in our lives. And I think especially in our culture here in Loudoun County, that's nothing to be ashamed of. So I read an article in The Atlantic this past week about how particularly intellectual white-collar job types will brag about their busyness as a sign of of status and value. And I think the same can be true of us. So in many areas of our lives, not just the workplace, busyness and communicating that busyness to others in conversation can show our in-demandness, our worth, our value, how much others call on us for our expertise and skill. So we're often spread thin as people, but we kind of wouldn't want it any other way, if we're honest. We wouldn't imagine it any other way. I know I'm painting with broad brush strokes, but many of you have been in Loudoun County for long enough to kind of nod in agreement. And before we kind of dig into this idea, I, I want to say up front, busyness is not necessarily wrong. But I wonder, can it be dangerous? Can busyness distract us from things that perhaps can look less productive, but are all the more essential for our lives? So we're continuing in our study in the Gospel of Luke, and this morning we come to a brief five verses. The only account of this event in the whole of the Bible, we see a contrast between two sisters and what they're deciding to be busy doing. And then we see Jesus address one of the sisters and give us today an insight into what is of highest priority. So follow along as I read just the last five verses of Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. 
But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Really profound outline for you this morning. Two points, two sisters, one thing. All right? Two sisters, one thing. It's not profound. That was a joke. Two sisters, one thing. So let's dig into this contrast between the two sisters, which is the bulk of the passage. So the, the, the text here opens up in verse 38 with Jesus entering a village. Uh, we can surmise from John chapter 11 that this village is probably the village of Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem. And in Bethany, Jesus is welcomed into the home of a woman named Martha. No husband is mentioned, so perhaps Martha's unmarried or her husband's away. There does seem to be a sense that she's kind of in management or, or maybe the owner of this home. And now she's received Jesus, the, the teacher, into her house, and she feels this keen weight of responsibility to provide for him, to prepare for his stay. But Martha also has a sister, if you see verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So Jesus has decided to teach in this home, which was not uncommon for him to do. And Mary has apparently left Martha and just taken a spot at the feet of Jesus as he teaches. It's interesting that Luke says she sat not at Jesus' feet, but at the Lord's feet, connoting his authority, right, and his teaching. And to sit at this Lord's feet in this position is, one author says, the position of a disciple, right? It makes sense. She's sitting at his feet. She's not really standing in judgment over him. She's sitting in a posture of receiving. By this action, she's counting herself a disciple of the Lord. Now, women in that day were not taught like this by Jewish rabbis. And yet, as we've seen before, Jesus' ministry often in the Gospels, is different, particularly in this area, particularly in its elevation of and value given to women. And furthermore, the, the wording there suggests Mary has done this of her own accord. She hasn't been called necessarily. She has decided to leave Martha and to sit with Jesus. I think the contrast between this passage and what we saw last week is striking. If you remember last week, we saw a lawyer get up with mixed motives, and he stood up to question Jesus. But this week, we see a humble woman sit down to listen to Jesus. Christians, we don't have Jesus with us in bodily form today. But I think we can understand and begin to, to imagine what sitting at Jesus' feet will, will look like for us. It's the posture of a disciple. It's, it's the posture of receiving the words of Christ, of hearing his word in the scriptures, of communing with him in prayer, of humbly and expectantly receiving and then submitting to what he says. It's the posture of a disciple. It's the posture of Mary. But what about Martha in verse 40? But Martha was distracted with much serving. 
Now, I think many of us can sympathize with Martha here. I mean, she has Jesus in her home for Pete's sake. This is important. This is huge. And she evidently feels responsible to, to provide and prepare for what this occasion will require. Rightfully so, don't you think? This is legit. But there's a key word in that short sentence we shouldn't miss. Because Luke says Martha wasn't only, wasn't only serving, she was distracted. Jesus is in her home. And he's speaking these words of truth and life. Words probably about the kingdom of God drawing near. Words about repentance. Words about salvation. And Martha is perhaps like getting little snippets of that message as she hustles and bustles around the home. But she's unable to and perhaps unwilling to at this time to kind of sit down and give him her full attention. Martha is distracted. And so Luke paints clearly a contrast between these sisters. Jesus is teaching, while one sister is sitting in humble expectancy at his feet, and the other is making preparations with distracted focus. So I'm going to make a lot of caveats, I feel, throughout this service, and maybe that's, maybe that's just me. But let me say it again. Martha's work itself is not necessarily bad. But the fact that it's drawing her away from hearing the words of Jesus make it less than good. She's serving, but she's doing so at the expense of listening to the words of Christ. Her world right now is is busy, it's frantic, it's loud, and therefore it's crowding out, it's muting the voice of Jesus. Her attention is split. I mean, her, her multitasking looks impressive. But she's not giving Jesus priority. The wording there suggests that she's being pulled away. And that she finds herself stressed and overwhelmed with these preparations she's making. Brothers and sisters, Christian service is essential to the life of a believer in Christ. I mean, think about it. Last week... I mean, last week we saw how a Jewish lawyer is exhorted by Jesus not merely to know the law, but to go and do likewise, right? Being a doer, not merely a hearer of the word of God, is part and parcel of following after Christ. Yes. But for Martha, her doing is taking her away from Jesus. It's distracting her and her attention from where true life is going to be found. So this passage is not critical of serving, serving the needs of those around us, serving God himself, but it puts that service in its proper place in our priority list. Busy service at the expense of time with Jesus can easily be posted on social media so everyone can see it. But there's a danger that mere busy service at the expense of time with Christ will lead to malnourished faith. And when it's all said and done, empty faith. Listen, Mary may be strong in her gifting. She might have this hospitality and service thing down to a science. But Jesus desires her heart more than her food. He wants a humble disciple more than a perfect lodging experience. 
It's not serving that's the problem here. It's serving that distracts from devoted time, drinking in the life-giving words of Christ. Now, if you're here and you're, you're not a Christian, you don't understand yourself to be a Christian, now, let me encourage you to hear the words of Christ. You don't need to live back in the first century AD to hear the words of Christ. If you haven't, maybe sit down this week and read the book right after Luke, the, the gospel according to John, in which there are de- documented so many words of Jesus. And as you read those words, you'll be, reco- you'll be reading not merely the recorded teachings of a historical figure, but you'll be learning how to know God, the one who designed you. See, Jesus came not merely to teach, he came to bring you to God. The Bible teaches that each one of us has turned our back on God, that we've spurned his ways, that we've kind of said to him, we can lead our lives best. We'll use you as we want you. And that pride is called sin. It deserves God's judgment. We see this in in the Gospels. We see this in Scripture over and over again. But Jesus has come not just to speak of that judgment, which he does, but to take that judgment, which he does. To take what we deserve for our sin, to, to take our death on the cross so that we can respond now in faith and repentance of our sins and trust that all we need is Christ. All we need is his death and resurrection in our place to be made right with God. This is glorious news. You don't need to serve God to be welcomed by God. And these words of life are not just meant to kick off the Christian life. The gospel is not just meant to believe and then to kind of catapult you into Christianity. The gospel is meant to come with you every step of the way, fueling you, sustaining you. To come to God, you don't need to do a certain amount of community service. You don't need to do a certain amount of Bible reading. You come to him, that's it. He welcomes you into his, his family, and he gives you a new heart, which you're then able to use to serve and give. If you'd like to learn more about the hope of the words of Christ, and we'd love to share with you more. You can talk to me afterwards. You can contact us during the week. We'd love to share with you more about the gospel hope of Jesus Christ. And church family, I'll admit straight up that as I sat down to study this passage this week, part of me struggled to believe that this was the message Loudon Valley needed to hear right now. I feel that we're coming out of a COVID malaise. And so I think you're trying to, you're probably getting that feel from me, right? I mean, I've been emailing many of you multiple times a day sometimes with new service opportunities, new program rollouts, deacon training, planning center invites, sign-up geniuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so as I came to this passage this week, I thought, no, I think we need to be reminded right now how to do for Jesus after what has just been a long year of, at least to me, perceived inaction as a church. But this passage has rebuked me. And I think Jesus here has a gentle warning for each one of us who would find ourselves busy doing, whether at work, in our homes, or in our church. For many of us, much of the time, our busyness, our activity, can distract us from sitting at Jesus' feet. For many of us, much of the time, unhurried, expectant, and submissive reading of God's word 
communion with him in prayer, meditation, and memorization upon the words of Christ take second or third or fourth or twentieth place in our priorities. And that's just the truth of it. It seems to me as a pastor that it's more the exception than the rule to hear that the devotional lives of Christians are less vibrant than they want them to be. That's more the rule than the exception. I think they mixed it up, but you get it. And I think this problem can seep into the church as well. I mean, ministries, programs, groups, chores, tasks, service opportunities. We can look like busy Christians. And, and for, there's a sermon for another day, but perhaps we should be busy at the work of Christ like that. And yet, that busyness can at times tempt us to neglect the more important inner walk we have with Christ. I'm not saying that's always the case, but it certainly is always a temptation that's just waiting there for us. I don't think activity is the problem. As people, we are always doing something. Mary is doing something, isn't she? But the thing she's doing, her activity, her main focus, her main job right now is sitting at Jesus' feet. That's what she's busy doing. She's undistracted. She's giving undivided attention to Christ. I wonder why we can struggle so much with that. I mean, there's, of course, spiritual warfare going on. Our enemy does not want us to delight in Christ. He'd rather us burn ourselves out serving Jesus than loving Jesus. I think also by nature, we just like to show our worth and value in how much we do. We like others to see fruits of our labors and praise us for our gifts. We, we like to feel like we can bring something to the table in our relationship with the Lord. But this is what I kind of landed on, at least for myself. I wonder if we, if we just don't expect that long times with Jesus in his word and prayer will be good for us. I wonder if we just don't think, we don't believe that time, well, that, that, that time is well spent, that time with Jesus will bring about good in our lives. I mean, Mary seems to be expectant of good things as she sits under the Lord's teaching. But I wonder if we come with that same expectancy to the Lord's word. I wonder if we're ready to hear from the Lord and, and receive encouragement and challenge and guidance through his word. I wonder if we come expecting that that's going to happen most of the time, some of the time. Now, I want to say that I'm often encouraged by members of this church who do this really well. But I wager all of us at times feel like we could do more to set aside time to just sit at the feet of Jesus. We're all so busy. I saw a quote online this week that said, I'm so busy, I only have time to tell people how busy I am. And that sounds like Martha, doesn't it? It sounds like Loudoun County. Wouldn't it be countercultural as Christians to perhaps have a less packed schedule than someone else or at least to say no more than someone else so we can book more time with Jesus? We'll look at the end of verse 40. And Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Martha's exasperated, straight up. And she asked this question in such a way that it makes it clear 
she expects Jesus will agree with her and tell Mary, get with the program. Martha's not blaming Jesus necessarily, but maybe she's just thinking he's ignorant of my stress. I mean, he's busy teaching. He doesn't see me flurrying about. Jesus gets thrown into a bit of a sister showdown here. Martha's annoyed. Mary's not helping, and Jesus just gets thrown right in the middle. Maybe some of you can relate. And so how does he respond? Well, that's the two sisters. Let's see the one thing. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Jesus is so great, isn't he? I mean, he, he sees right through Martha. He sees what's going on in her heart. He sees, I don't know, maybe pride, anger, anxiousness, things that really should in some ways be challenged and rebuked in her spirit. And, and he does rebuke her, but his tone appears so gentle here. I mean, it seems maybe she's interrupted his teaching. I don't know. But he just, he just says, Martha, Martha. He's concerned for her soul, and he uses this teaching opportunity to steer her towards the right priority in her life. Jesus is not ignorant of her workload. It turns out she's the one who's ignorant of her greatest need. And I think we can put ourselves in that sentence all too often, right? Jacob, Jacob, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Loudon Valley, Loudon Valley, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Yes, Lord. Agreed. Guilty. What do I do? Look at verse 42. Jesus says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The idea of portion there, I think, has something to do with, a f- with food or a meal. And so, in other words, what Jesus is pointing out is that Martha is busy preparing food, but Mary's already eating. And the food she's eating is the most important dish on display in that house. In fact, it's the only thing that's really necessary. It brings to mind the passage from Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What Mary is eating is nourishing her soul. It's feeding her. It's it's the words of Christ. One author puts it this way. Sit at Jesus' feet and devour his teaching, since there is no more important meal. Church, Jesus' truth will last forever. He says this will not be taken away from her. He's saying Mary is making an investment, the return on which is secure. Time with Jesus is of utmost importance. Sitting at his feet is of great necessity for anyone who would follow after him. Plenty of other passages that we will get to and that we have gotten to in Luke will focus on how taking in Jesus' teaching must drive us to action, must drive us to service, must drive us to doing stuff. But this passage stops short of that and reminds us to sit, to take in before we stand and give out. This passage tells us and reminds us to sit and take in before standing and giving out. Mary has chosen the better portion. 
So church family, there's a ton we could apply from this text. As we began the sermon together, we admitted we're busy people. And busyness has indeed become sort of a status symbol in our culture. And I think we've, for the most part, bought into that whole hog. And I'm concerned for my own soul and for our church that we can so easily be busy, even busy with the things of the Lord, and yet at times forget how long it's actually been since we sat in patience and expectancy and submission at Jesus' feet. It's almost like the serpent is again whispering in our ears like he did Eve in the garden. I mean, did Jesus really mean that? That that's the best portion? I mean, is it really the most important thing for you to do to just read the Bible and sit at his feet? Isn't that lazy? Isn't it better to fill your life and jam-pack it with service and stuff, even if that means you might have to sacrifice some quiet time? I mean, isn't God after the success of your ministry and the spread of the gospel more than your kind of your, your just kind of like personal private devotion? Isn't that selfish? It's easy to believe that lie, even if we don't even, even if it's kind of subconscious. And so Christian, please listen. I'm saying this to myself just as much as I'm saying it to you. You are not too busy to sit at Jesus' feet every day. Sure, you might need to say no more and cancel a few things or free up your schedule sometimes, but God has not made your schedule so packed that you cannot spend time with him. You have. There is enough time in your day to spend with Jesus. One of the places I've, I've kind of been challenged in this area is in Kevin DeYoung's little book, Crazy Busy. In that book, he writes this. He says, God has given us all 24 hours in every day. It is the one resource distributed with complete equality. And for most of us, for the most part, we all do with those hours what we think is most important. I wish I ran more, but apparently I value reading at home or working late or getting sleep more. So the answer here is not simple willpower. I must spend more time with Jesus. That won't last. We have to believe that the most significant opportunity before us every day is the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. We will not rearrange our priorities unless we really believe that is the best one. Many of you will know we have a 70-pound puppy in our home right now. And much of life with a puppy is based on short commands. Sit. Stay. Stop. And as I was thinking about this passage, those simple one-word commands came to mind. I mean, I can be good at sitting. But when it comes to time with Jesus, I'm terrible at staying. I wonder if you ever feel that way. You might sit for... 60 seconds and read Spurgeon morning and evening app, which is great. Do that. Or read another devotional that you get in your email inbox. Great. Do that. But it's the staying that just seems like a waste of time, or at least, I mean, your mind is so distracted anyway, it turns into a waste of time. 
I might feel good that I sit, but I hardly ever stay. And so church, I praise God for our industrious service to the gospel and to one another. I've heard multiple times over the years that Loudoun Valley Baptist Church is a serving church. May that never change. In fact, may it increase. May we labor with diligence. Remember what we saw earlier this year in Proverbs? Diligence. So we don't waste our lives. So that we honor God with every morsel of our, of our being. If you have morsels in your beings. But let's take a warning from Martha. And not allow doing to distract us from sitting at the feet of Jesus. So what should we do? Well, if it is a belief problem, which I think it is for me and for maybe many of you, that we don't actually think this is the best portion in our day, I think the first thing we need to do is repent. We need to repent of following Jesus, our Lord, with distracted minds, distracted hearts. Repent that we just do not see time with him as the most important part of our day. It starts with repentance. We need to expect that he will do good things and that he will fill us with joy and that he will bless us and that he will work in us and that he will change us as we make a more of a habit of sitting with him. But what then? Oh, I think that's where the church family comes in. As we seek to obey the exhortation of Jesus to Martha and to us, I think we, we need help making a plan. Sort out our frantic minds and our busy calendars so as to prioritize time with Jesus. And then once we have a plan, we need accountability. And we need people in the church to ask us how our relationship with the Lord is going. People that we can report back to. People who can share stories with. That happens here. That happens as we share meals together. As we meet in community groups together. Loudoun Valley Baptist Church members, don't be afraid to ask another member, even if you're just having one of those how was your week conversations, how their spiritual disciplines are going, what they're reading in the Word, if they're reading the Word, how they're seeing answers to prayer as they lift up their needs to the Lord. It's unclear whether Martin Luther actually ever said this, but I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon when he said, I like that saying of Martin Luther when he says, I have so much business to do today that I shall not be able to get through it with less than three hours prayer. Spurgeon continues, now most people would say, I have so much business to do today that I have only three minutes for prayer. I cannot afford the time. But Luther thought that the more he had to do, the more he must pray or else he couldn't get through it. That is a blessed kind of logic. May we understand it. If we have to stop and pray, it is no more hindrance than when the rider has to stop at the farrier's to have his horse's shoe fastened. For if he went on without attending to that, it may be that ere long he would succumb to a stop of a more serious kind. If you want to bring that into the 21st century, stop and fill up your tires, right? Stop and pray. Church, it is indeed a blessed kind of logic. But it's counterintuitive and countercultural. That the more we feel overwhelmed with life, the less we should be distracted from the good portion. And the more we must spend with our Savior, resisting the distractions of the world, 
resisting the anxiety and troubled hearts that come with many things and spend time devoted to the one thing. Because when it comes down to it, all we have is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is an easy passage for us to understand and a hard passage for us to obey. We repent of so often prioritizing so many things above our time with you, and so we ask that you would forgive us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would convict us, that you would encourage us. You know where each one of us needs to be challenged and where each of us needs to be comforted right now. And so, Spirit, we ask that you would have your way with us and that you would lead us into obedience, that you would shine a great spotlight on the beauty and value of Jesus Christ in our souls, and that you would compel us to spend more time with him. Spirit, we pray then that you would bear fruit as we pursue even more fruitful, uh, intimate relationship with our King. In the name of Christ, we ask. Amen.